Hello, and welcome to the Philosophical Angle podcast with your host, author Chris Angle. Hi, this is the Philosophical Angle program, and I am your host, Chris Angle. I'm the author of four books on philosophy, one of which is Defining Ethics, Good and Evil. These books are available free for viewing at thephilosophicalangle.com. If you uh, like this uh, video, hit the like button and subscribe. You can also give us an email at contact at thephilosophicalangle.com. The purpose of the Philosophical Angle is to examine the nature of concepts and ideas in media. And uh, we kind of saw the other day <clears throat> the topic of just war came up. And uh, so we're going to comment on that. And just to start off the session, let's go to the Britannica online encyclopedia and see what they have to say about a just war. A just war, they say, is here, notion that the resort to armed force, jus ad bellum, is justified under certain conditions. Also, the notion that the use of such force, jus in bello, should be limited in certain ways. Second paragraph, it said, rooted in classical Roman and biblical Hebraic culture and containing both religious and secular elements, just war first coalesced as a coherent body of thought and practice during the Middle Ages as a byproduct of canon law and theology, the ideas of jus natural, natural law, and jus gentium, law of nations, from Roman, Roman law established practices of statecraft and the chivalric, chivalric code. The canonists drew together existing Christian traditions on the justification of war and on non-combatant immunity ideas later developed by various Christian theologians. That's enough. Okay, so it re really doesn't lead this very far because they don't, uh, they don't define war and they don't define just. So really for us to understand what a just war is, we need to uh, take a look at those two concepts and define them. So in order to really understand war, though, you got to understand peace. And that's what we're going to go over right now. We're going to go over peace, and we're going to note that when peace is interdicted, then the propensity for war increases. So I think the first thing to do is go over peace, and we'll find out. And then we'll, uh, then we'll define just, and then we can put it all together. Okay, so, the essence of peace, it's going to be defined by one dictum and, and, a, and a whole bunch of corollaries. And that first dictum is the, uh, of peace is that life seeks continuously that which is good for it, and it is never ending. And so when you come along and if you try to interdict life from seeking goodness, you're going to run yourself into a problem, because life is going to resist that, because it always wants to seek that which is good for it. Corollary one, the nature of freedom. Freedom is the construction of priorities, and when the effectuation of those priorities, uh, and then the, uh, uh, the effectuation of those priorities. And so 
you make a priority such as uh, gosh you're hungry today and uh, so what do you do about it so you effectuate uh, that priority by going down to the grocery store and buying some food and and doing so that's your freedom to do and the interdiction of this would be the cancellation of the freedom that allows you to go and and uh, uh, and, ex and, and execute your priority if you do that you're going to run into a problem so the effectuation of a of a priority is our sacrifice that we make in order to receive a reward. And that brings us to corollary two. Sacrifice always equals the reward. We sacrifice our time, our effort, our material, and uh, we use our information and knowledge within an atmosphere of risk to achieve a reward. We can actually even make a an equation of it. We can our risk, information, knowledge, time, effort, material, making that, executing that will give us a reward. And if it's a service, we just take out the uh, take out the material part of it. Once freedom is established, that is, once the priorities are established, then motivation appears. Aha. And motivation is the relationship between the sacrifice and the reward. In other words, the, uh, the greater the sacrifice and the less the reward, the less the motivation. The less the sacrifice, the greater the reward, greater the motiva motivation. And so when we have a motivation uh, and uh, you decide to do something, the interdiction of that will cause a problem also with whoever's trying to interdict and uh, stop your motivation. So one way to receive a reward efficiently is to sometimes join up with others in a cooperative manner to achieve a reward. Uh, manufacturers get together. They get a whole bunch of workers together uh, and they cooperatively get together and create a service or a, or a product. And uh, cooperatively, they use their time, their effort, their information and knowledge uh, within an atmosphere of risk to, to effectuate that reward of developing a service or a product. And then in doing that, they had to be, they had to be cooperative. And cooperative behavior is the sacrifice of two or more persons to obtain a reward. They sacrifice their collective knowledge, time, effort, uh, in an atmosphere of risk to obtain a reward. Both of these people or all together cumulatively, one or more, two or more, will be sacrificing, making their sacrifice. And so cooperation is two or more life entities adding together their time, their effort, their knowledge and risk to attain a reward and thus fulfilling that uh, that fulfills dictum one and corollary two and cooperation is the, uh, the sacrifices that the, all the individuals make in order to achieve a reward for each participant. 
and they do it because they'll have the knowledge that if they do it together then they will have a greater efficiency altogether in pro producing that service or product in gaining that reward they know that together they are more efficient than they are separately so in order to produce cooperative behavior which is the effort of our sacrifice and knowledge that working together with other people result in the greater ability to produce goods and services which uh, which is good and allows us to live better we consider others with whom we cooperate important in our lives and thus we make instruments of cooperation that help us cooperate together such as agreements covenants contracts and examples are individuals with individuals make agreements and companies with companies and society with government However, there's a byproduct of social freedom, and that is the convergence of priorities. That is, others may come to have the same priorities, which develops into the nature of competition. When, when priorities converge, that is the nature of competition. And uh, this naturally happens from two factors. One, from the existence of freedom, that is, making those priorities. It also comes from when those priorities start to converge, other, others come around and they try to make the same product or deliver the same service. Uh, then that convergence of priorities creates competition. And sometimes others will try to make uh, compete with you because of St. Augustine's principle of libido dominandi, the lust for dominion, the desire to dominate. And so competition, which is produced by the converging priorities, uh, initiates the potential for war. Economic competition is essentially economic war and companies attempt to avoid this war by diversifying their products, which is per the law of differentiation. And that is, the law of differentiation means that when the priorities converge, then they diverge, because companies don't like to go into economic war. They don't want to have the same priorities as another country, uh, company. So they diversify their products, and that's why when you go up into any any item in a drugstore, such as a, the, the, the toothpaste counter, you see you see so many different products. Each company is trying to diversify away from the the uh, the types of products that you see from other companies. And now, uh, and countries do the same thing. Uh, <clears throat> They can, uh, they'll, uh, countries will conform to the law of di uh, differentiation also through the use of treaties. So in order to avoid direct conflict uh, in, in convergence, they'll uh, 
they'll create a treaty and their treaties are, are agreements now the reason why we have to include this principle into the nature of peace is because competition is the convergence of priorities and converging priorities are inimical to the health of any life entity all companies individuals and society know that direct competition can take away from available resources in the economic arena it makes it hard to get customers and so competition is produced by converging priorities initiates the potential for for an economic war economic competition is essentially economic war and companies attempt to avoid this by diversifying their products as per the law of differentiation which we just explained competition exists because within human nature there is this will to develop which evolved back when our predecessors came out of the of the trees uh, due to the drying up of the environment and landed themselves on the plains of Africa suddenly they had to live and travel in groups without trees and so uh, that is uh, this will to compete has evolved within the human species and St. Augustine noted this proclivity of the human species and deemed it the principle of libido dominandi and now this, cor this corollary five which we're going to call competition uh, and uh, corollary six which is a, we're going to call the law of differentiation and uh, <clears throat> so here are the ingredients to peace seeking that which is good freedom to seek that which is good being allowing ourselves to be motivated to seek that which is good cooperating with others to seek that which is good competition which is the beginning of, of war and the law of differentiation which is, allows us to uh, diverge from war and so the interdiction of any of these ingredients of peace causes the potential of war to increase further when we add in the principle of libido dominandi the will to dominate the propensity of war increases as an example when agreements contracts are uh, are non-existent or when they've been broken cooperation is no longer possible when cooperation disappears then respect also vanishes and so does ethics and that is because cooperation disappears uh, because uh, uh, because the cooperation is necessary in for in order for agreements and contracts to exist and inside cooperation is their respect respect the behavioral of uh, of the behavior of respect allows us to cooperate it's the evolutionary mechanism by which cooperation is is available to the human species we respect others in order to be able to cooperate with them and when respect uh, vanishes 
Uh, so does ethics, because ethics is the appropriate dispensation of respect. And we respect others in order to cooperate with them, and we cooperate with them in order to produce goods and services, and we produce goods and services in order to bring goodness into our lives, which brings us up away from misery. And <clears throat> so, uh, and in the motivation of a, uh, of a small sacrifice, of a small sacrifice versus a great reward. In other words, the smaller the sacrifice and the greater the reward, the greater the motivation, and the result. If you add, is a is a high propensity of war. If um, if there's a small sacrifice. To, to a large reward in something that where the ends justifies the means then that propensity is high and what I mean here is that once ethics disappears that leaves us with with the with the ends justifies the means rationality and when you have a uh, and justifies the means rationality all you need is a high motivation in order to go after that which you re, which you which we want and if your uh, and if your, uh, your sacrifice is small and your reward is great then you have a high propensity to go after that which you desire so what is a just war in order to know what a just war we need to find what is just and that which is just is that which fulfills a contract, an agreement, or covenant. And thus a just war is when a contract or agreement is breached. And thus the ethicality of the situation is destroyed and all means to rectify the situation are exhausted. And only the physicality of the entity remains. as the only means to repair the agreement or solve the problem. In other words, you've got an agreement in place and it's destroyed. The cooperation is destroyed because the cooperation was, was noted inside the agreement and is no longer a possibility while you pursue dictum number one, which is to seek that which is good for you. And the only physicality and the, and the principle uh, of libido dominati remain, then war is to be expected. But in order for the situation to be just, all other related covenants and agreements must remain intact, governing the participant. Examples of these extraneous but relevant agreements would be the individual or society with God or with other societies or with the internal laws of society. So your whole, so your, your position in society and your laws of, of, of society still have some relevance when you are in war externally with another entity. And so, the just war is when 
the covenant with the other entity is destroyed or it never existed in the first place and you seek to rectify it but you can't and the only possibility in pursuance of your dictum one remains is the physicality in other words only by force can you rectify the situation then war is justified let's take us let's take a uh, an example of this how about William the Conqueror 1066 coming over to England how would have that been a just war was it a just war it depends let's let's think about it William seeks uh, gets uh, visits Edward in uh, in England and Edward being the king says yeah I'm gonna let you be king and so he goes home thinking he's going to be king and then when Edward dies he gives it the right to the uh, uh, to govern England uh, to somebody else I think it was Harold so he gives it to Harold and now William thinking he had a contract to be king of England is denied and suddenly it converts to Harold that agreement and covenant is demolished yet standing there is the principle of libido dominandi remains within William and so what does he do he gathers together his uh, his army he's now motivated he's got an army with him so his sacrifice is going to be very little that is he he's not going to he's going to be safe while his army helps him out uh, with the uh, physicality of the of the war and he invades England and the reward is England itself which is a which is a large war so he's which a large uh, uh, which is a, a great country so he's got the motivation he's got within him the libido dominandi and he has the dis- the abolishment of the abolition of the covenant agreement which he thought he had and so war happened and William the Conqueror came over one and and so war was war just possibly if uh, because he had a contract with Edward if that were true then he could call it a just war others let's say Hitler invading Poland might not have been a just war because there was no contract in place between Germany and Poland and so it was just the pursuance of the principle of dominandi and thus not a just war I think uh, so uh, with that in mind um, make comment and see you next time on the philosophical angle thank you for joining us on the philosophical angle podcast be sure to subscribe and join us for the next installment